giving you a break this week. 18 verses. If you remember, if you track back three weeks, we've gone a chapter for three, three weeks in a row, a whole chapter. But the story of Genesis is coming together. Hopefully you're kind of pulling out the main themes and how God began in creation and has been working to fulfill his promises to redeem the world. I like to think on the road to Emmaus, Luke chapter 24, Jesus is communicating with some disciples who are confused as to why the Savior died. And at this point, they don't understand that the guy talking to them is the risen Jesus. And it says in Luke several times, he took Moses, he took Moses and the prophets and all of the Old Testament, and he taught them himself from those scriptures. And so I kind of wonder sometimes as we come to a passage like this with two genealogies, sitting at the table with Jesus, how would he communicate himself to us from these verses? That's kind of my thought project during the week. But let's look at verse 1 together. Luke chapter 25. This is exciting stuff. It'll be a little bit of a Bible study together this morning. Some, we have some work to do. And so I hope you're ready. And Young moms, if you'll be expecting children anytime soon, there's a great list of names to choose from in the chapters, this is chapter this morning. Okay, verse one. Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. Remember in Genesis 24, verse one, what did it tell us about Abraham? Was he young and hip and just rearing to go with tons of energy, like in his prime? Is that what Genesis 24 said? No. What did it say? He's old. Like, let's not be nice. He's old. He's, in fact, so old, he's well advanced in years. But here it says, he took another wife. Are we to think that in his old, he was basically on his way to his deathbed last week. As we're talking through this together, now is he take another wife and father six children in his well-advanced, well, it wouldn't be impossible for Sarah was barren and at an old age she had a child. But really what's going on here is this is not set chronologically, this little section about Keturah. It's actually at some point in Abraham's life, he took another wife. The author's just letting us know there was another wife in Abraham's life. In fact, the Hebrew says, or ESV, it says, Abraham took. The Hebrew is actually had taken. He had taken another wife, Keturah. And remember Sarah, this one wife, the, the princess, right? The one who God had this special attention for and, and this care for her. And he had promised her, I know your, your womb is barren, but I will give you a son. And through your son, I'm going to bless all nations. I'm going to continue that project. She has only one son. But Keturah here, she has a couple, more than a couple. Look at verse 2. We'll try to get these names together. She bore him Zimran, Jokshan, Medan, Midian, Ishbak, and Shua. Great names. Jokshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashram, Latushim, and Limum. The sons of Midian were Ephah, Ephur, Hanak, Abida, and Ildaha. All these were the children of Keturah. If you're keeping track, 
as we work through that, it's the genealogy that's given is a three-generation genealogy. So you, you, you notice Abraham has six sons with Keturah, but from there he has some grandsons, and from there he has some great-grandsons. That's how it works, 16 names all told. Some of these names will appear again in Scripture. You recognize some of maybe Median. You, you recognize that name. And so some will pop up throughout Scriptures in the Old Testament and the, and the prophets as well. Some of them won't occur again in the scripture. But through extra biblical writings and specifically Assyrian writings, we learn that these people, they become like groups of people, nations almost. And we're going to learn in a moment that they, they move to the east. We're going to read that. And all of these people basically settle in what we know as Arabia. To the, to the east of the promised land, a little south, the northern tip of the Arabian desert. And as they do all of this, you're imagining a map and you're seeing what I'm seeing in my brain. And eventually these groups assimilate into one larger family. Okay? Hold all of that in your brain. You got all these kids. They're moving east. We're going to find out they're moving east. And eventually they're going to assimilate into another family in the Arab area, Arabia. So these are the children and generations who were born to Abraham through Keturah. And since we're talking about children right now, I want to ask you, what happened to the other son that Abraham had who was not born of Sarah? What happened to that guy, Ishmael? What did Abraham do with Ishmael? He sent him away. Ishmael in Genesis 21 had become a threat to the promise of God because he doubted that the inheritance and the covenant and God's plan would fall on Isaac because Ishmael's the firstborn. And Sarah noticed that. You guys remember this? Sarah noticed that Ishmael was a threat and she told Abraham, you got to get rid of him. He's got to go because he's posing a threat to the work that God is going to do through our son Isaac. And so Abraham is faithful and he sends Ishmael away. So what happens to all these kids? Look at verse 5. Abraham gave all he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, in the plural because we think of Hagar, the concubines, Abraham gave gifts and while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac eastward to the east country. When you read eastward, east country in the Old Testament, it's east of the Transjordan, here's the map again, and a little south, the northern tip of the Arabian desert. Okay, this idea of Arabia, let's hang on to that as we move along. So he does the same thing that he did with Ishmael. There, listen, there can be no threat to what God has promised to do in Isaac. And so Abraham has all these children, and it's great, but he's, he's getting older, and he's going to give everything he has to Isaac. But first, he'll give these gifts to his other children and send them away. The idea that Abraham gives all he has to Isaac is this inheritance. He passes on the blessings that God has given him to only to his son Isaac. But more than that, it means this, the covenant promises... Remember the promise of land, the promise of offsprings that outnumber the stars. You guys remember this? And the promise to bring blessing to all nations. That is going to work through Isaac. And Abraham believes that. So he gives all that he has to Isaac. 
and he sends the children of Keturah away. Why is this in Genesis right here? What does Abraham mean? The name Abraham. Father of many nations. Abraham. And God promised Abraham, I will make you a father of not just one great nation, maybe Israel, but many nations. Okay? And here, as the Israelites are reading this for the first time, they notice, okay, so Abraham has a lot of children. He has Ishmael, and spoiler, Ishmael's going to have some kids as well. We already read that. So he's going to have children, and those children will become nations and peoples, and Keturah had children that become... So even the author puts this here to show that Abraham had a taste. Even if not the full fulfillment, he could see before he died God expanding his offspring into peoples and nations. So it's, it's a testimony to God's faithfulness to Abraham, even while he dies not seeing the full promises fulfilled. Does that make sense? That's why it's here in Genesis. God has been faithful. God called Abraham and promised land, children, and blessing. We know that he has blessing. Genesis 24, 1, God blessed Abraham. We know he has land. What, what did he purchase? Remember? What? A grave, a site for his wife's grave in Hebron. That's the promised land. He owns land in the promise. Now, it's not a ton of land, but that land will blossom into the kingdom of Solomon. And it will be quite a, quite a country that they have together. And then now we know he has a lot of children. So it's a foretaste of the full promise. Look at verse 7 into verse 8. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life. 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age. An old man full of years. That just means he was blessed with life, blessed in life. God was with him. And he was gathered to his people. These phrases basically are saying he died. The patriarch died. We have been following Abraham's life for months now. It began in Genesis 11, verse 27, with the, these are the generations of Terah which led to Abraham and the story of Abraham, and now he has died. And he has gathered to his people, but we see that God has been faithful. And then we come to this funeral service. Look at verse 9. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave at Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled in Behir Leheroi. Abraham's firstborn and his trueborn, that is Ishmael, firstborn, Isaac, the son that was promised, they come together to bury their father. Remember, they're separated in life. Abraham separated them. But at the death of their father, they come back together for this funeral service. And they bury him in Machpelah, this land that he had purchased. And he's buried, the prince of God, Genesis 23, he's called a prince of God. He's buried with the princess Sarah 
and Machpelah. They are brought back together in death. And both of them, we learned this from Ephesians 11. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. As they die, they're awaiting the heavenly city built by the hands of God. And so there they die in faith together. Verse 11, after Abraham died, God blessed Isaac, the son of Abraham. The son of Abraham, his son, Abraham's son, Abraham's sons, Keturah's children, they're called, are they called Abraham's sons? They weren't. They were called the sons of Keturah. This is just emphasizing the the special place that Isaac and even Ishmael has in this story because remember God promised Ishmael some things as well. But here are the other children in the passage. They've been referred to as the sons of Keturah. Now Isaac's called the son of Abraham. He is the beloved son. Remember the sacrifice of Abraham? The beloved, your only son. So there's the special attention on Isaac. And God promises when he says he blessed Isaac. That means this story of redemption that we're following through the book of Genesis. It's going to continue through Isaac. God has this special attention for Isaac. And so he promises this land and this blessing. It's going to continue through Isaac. Remember in Genesis 24, we read the word master 23 times. You guys all remember this. It's fascinating. Master 23 times. 22 of them, who did it refer to? Abraham. The very last word, master, who does it refer to? Isaac. So Genesis 24 prepares us for this transition from Abraham to Isaac. Genesis 25 finalizes it. Abraham has died and the blessing falls on Isaac. I said biblical studies, right? We're doing some work together here this morning and the promise continues. And he settles in Behir Leheroi. Look at verse 12. There or sorry, these are the generations of Ishmael, Abraham's son, whom Hagar, the Egyptian, Sarah's servant, bore to Abraham. These are the generations of typically begin a new section of Genesis. Look at verse 19 real quick. Cheat ahead a little. These are the generations of Isaac. That begins the Isaac story. And eventually we'll see these are the generations of Jacob. And that begins the Jacob story. Here, though, this, these are the generations of Ishmael. To me, as I look at this, it's actually concluding the Abraham story and the Abraham genealogy because of how closely Ishmael is tied into the conclusion. This is the first time Ishmael is named in Genesis since Genesis 21. And he shows up at Abraham's funeral. Ishmael, just like Isaac, is referred to here as the son of Abraham, even twice. Mention of Sarah occurs, so we're brought back into the the original... The the pigeon just hit the window. I'm sorry. Announcement. Uh, So Sarah is brought back into the story. Hagar is brought back into the story. So this has something to do with wrapping up the Abraham narrative. Does that make sense? What does it have to do with it? Well... This story of Ishmael, it needs to come to a conclusion like Abraham's. Because if you can remember in Genesis 21, verse 13, Abraham is lamenting that his wife wants to send Ishmael away. Do you remember that? He's sad about it. But God appears to him and he says, he says, basically, Abraham, this is a good idea. And listen, you can be comforted because I will bless Ishmael. I will make him a mighty nation. That's what God said to Abraham. 
And then Hagar, she's, she leaves and she's really thirsty. She's out in the wilderness without water and her son is dying and he's under a tree and she leaves. She can't bear to hear it. And God appears to her and he says, hey, here's a well. And he's like, oh, some water. Revive your son because I promise I will make him into a nation. So there's these promises from God and they need, we need to see the fulfillment. God is faithful, and we've seen it over and over again in Genesis. That's why it's here. God is faithful not just to Isaac, but dare I say to all people, God is faithful. Even those who are outside of this elect covenant lineage, he has made promises to Abraham, Ishmael and because of Abraham. So look, verse 14. I'm sorry, verse 13. These are the names of the sons of Ishmael, named in order of their birth, Nebaioth, the firstborn of Ishmael. You know, you go to seminary and you learn Hebrew, and then you actually leave seminary still not knowing how to say all the names. So um, this is something we do together. And Kedar, Adbeil, Mibsam, Mishma, that's my favorite, Duma, Masa, Hedad, Tima, Jeter, Nafish, and Kedamah. That's a really interesting name there, Kedamah. These are the sons of Ishmael, these are their names by their villages. That just means they become people groups, okay? And their encampments, 12 princes according to their tribes. Let's just finish the passage. These are the years of the life of Ishmael, 137 years. He breathed his last and he died. He was gathered to his people. They settled from Havilah to Shur, which is opposite of Egypt in the direction of Assyria. He settled over against all his kinsmen. That's basically the same direction that Keturah's kids went, to the east. Same direction. Okay? If you're counting, or if you noticed, he has how many children? Twelve children. Twelve princes, tribal leaders. Each of these children, according to Arabian, Assyrian, and biblical records, become people groups of their own, and they kind of form this big, populous, guess where? Arabia. Right in that same area. So Ishmael, he increases into this giant nation. And the, the Israelites who are reading this, many years later, prepared to go into the promised land, they know the Ishmaelites. They know they're a mighty nation. God has been faithful even to Ishmael. So at the first level, the text is here to show us God's faithfulness because of his promises to Hagar and to Abraham. And finally, we're told that he, that is Ishmael and his nations, they settled over against all his kinsmen. Throughout the history of the Bible, the people of Ishmael, they have a tendency towards aggression. They have aggression towards Israel. And there's these fights and uh, all these problems between them. And that's also a fulfillment of promise. If you remember, God said, you will settle against your kinsmen. So we have a list of names here at Keturah, the death of Abraham. Then we have a list of names from Ishmael and the death of Ishmael. And what's right in the middle of all of that? God blessed Isaac. Smack dab in the middle. What's really fascinating to me, that was a lot of work to get to where we are now. But now really, if you've checked out, check back in, listen. What's fascinating to me is that the relationship between Keturah's children and Ishmael's children throughout antiquity, throughout history, the history of the Bible. 
eventually the two sets of Abrahamic children not born of Sarah, so Keturah's children, Ishmael's children, eventually they merge together as basically one big people. The Ishmaelites essentially take over those from Keturah and they become this one great populace in the Arabia, the area of Arabia. And we see this in extra-biblical writings. We see it in the Old Testament in prophetic writing where the two, the Keturah children and the Ishmaelite children, they're said in the same breath. It's like they're the same family. Does that make sense? Keturah is interesting. The name means incense. And we believe that her name was Keturah because she came from a people who controlled the incense trade in the ancient Near East. And guess who eventually has all the incense, all the frankincense, Ishmaelites. In fact, they would pay the Babylonian king tribute 30 tons of frankincense every year. That's a lot of incense. And we also know from the Bible, Judges 8.24 talks about how Ishmaelite peoples have a lot of gold. People talk in ancient writings about how much gold. and They say this guy, he talks about Didius is his name. You dig up the gold in this Arabian area and you don't have to purify it. It's pure. That's the kind of gold that they have there. So we have these two groups of Abrahamic peoples on either side of the blessed son Isaac. Eventually these two groups collide and dwell in the area of Arabia. That is to the east. But in our narrative, God has blessed them even while he puts his special attention on Isaac. They receive these gifts and these provisions and the fulfillment of promise. And here's what happens. God has not taken his attention off, listen, the nations. In Genesis 3.15, God promised to bring redemption to his creation, image bearers. And so even while God is working specifically through Isaac, he has not forgotten that all people need redemption. And you could say it's because all people need redemption that he has chosen to bless Isaac. And throughout the story, these wars and hostilities, they grow amongst each other because of this issue of sin and death and a serpent whom God has promised to destroy. And these war and hostilities occur between these people between Isaac who would become Israel and between all these other nations in the story of scripture because the the root cause of this is sin which plagues every heart both Israelites and non-Israelites we've seen in Genesis how sin drives us away from God we've seen how sin results in death we've seen in Genesis how sin brings a wedge between peoples and families in Genesis 4 Right away, Cain murdering Abel. And then we see the story of Genesis and all these genealogies, how people aren't, they're not coming together. They're being dispersed apart further and further. But God, right in the middle of this spreading out, God has blessed Isaac because he has a plan to redeem all peoples and to bring back this fellowship that was lost in the fall. All right. Ready? Let's dig in a little more. In the book of Isaiah, the prophet prophesies against both Israel and all nations because of their sin, because of failure to acknowledge that God is God alone. 
because of their failure to realize you can't be your own God. There is one God. In Isaiah 30, verse 12, God speaks judgment against Israel because they turn away from the path of God and they actually say, we don't want to hear any more about this holy one. Isaiah 30, that's Israel. In Isaiah 34, verse 1 and 2, the prophet speaks against all nations. It says, let the earth hear. That's everybody. And all that fills it, the world and all that comes from it, for the Lord is enraged against all the nations. So while there are two groups in Genesis, the Isaac, the, the covenant people, and everyone else, there's one thing that binds them together. Sin and their need for a savior. That's what binds them together in the story. There is a need for all people to be redeemed from our hostility towards God and towards one another. And that's what Isaiah essentially is about. God's not going to let sin slide. God's going to punish sin. We need a redeemer. And the great story of Isaiah, the great promise of Isaiah, God will send a redeemer to redeem all peoples, not just Israel, to bring blessing to all nations. There will be a Savior born of Israel such that all nations can come to know the saving power of God. You need to stop, please. And Isaiah 9 is this famous passage about a child. And it says a child will be born of a virgin who will be a light for the Israelites and a light for all nations. Isaiah 42, God says that he will fulfill his promises to Abraham so that all nations can see the light of his new covenant. Why am I in Isaiah all of a sudden and bringing this up? Like, how did we get from Ishmael's genealogy to here in Isaiah? I'm trying to prepare you for Isaiah chapter 60. So if you're willing, take your Bible and open to Isaiah 60. You'll see Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. Song of Solomon. Then there's Isaiah. And I want you to go to Isaiah 60. Remember the story of Isaiah, the promises. Everyone needs a redeemer. God is going to send a savior to save us from his wrath. All nations will be saved by this, this servant king. And then listen to Isaiah 60. Let your brain make these connections. Holy Spirit, help us. It says, arise. Shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see, they are all gathered together. They come to you. That's the king of Israel. They come to you. Your sons, Israelites, your sons shall come from afar and your daughters shall be carried on your hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of nations shall come to you. Listen, a multitude of camels shall cover the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news. The praises of the Lord, all the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify my beautiful house. 
chapter 60 of Isaiah is situated in the prophets foretelling a coming, conquering, and redeeming king of Israel who will put away sin and restore people to the blessing of knowing God and dwelling with God. The Lord of light will burst into the world and it's filled, and when the light comes, it's filled with darkness. That's sin and death and the wages of sin. It's filled with darkness, but like the glory of the Lord, it will push away the darkness. That means he will do away with sin. At that point, Isaiah says, all nations shall come to the light who is the king of Israel. And the king will draw these nations into himself. And the nations who are come, they will come offering gifts and treasures, even gold and frankincense. And these people will come from Midian and Ephah and Sheba. Whose children are those? Keturah. And more than that, people from Ishmael, Kedar, and the other name that's really hard to say. They shall come and minister to the Lord the praises of his name, the king of Israel who has come to conquer their darkness and death. That's why, Isaiah, these five peoples coming from Keturah and from Ishmael, Hagar and Ishmael, they, they represent, verse 5, they represent the nations. Isaiah 65, the nations shall come. Okay, so stay with me. I'm going to pull it all together. God has blessed Isaac so that he can continue his redeeming project. This project to destroy sin and death and destroy the serpent and bring people back into fellowship with himself. And Isaiah teaches us that God is going to do this through a servant king of Israel, a son of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob and so on. And that when this happens, the blessing promised to Isaac in Genesis 25 will be fulfilled. Such that all those nations who are spreading out from Abraham, by faith, can come back into the one family of God. What we call the new covenant family of God. Maybe we call it the church. And these people, when this king comes into the world, this is not just hypothetical. When the king actually comes into the world, peoples from Arabia will come and offer him gifts. Then in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus, Yeshua, God saves, who is the Christ, the anointed son and king of God, he's born. And at his birth, do you remember what happens? A radiant light appears. And this light, it is bright and it's guiding, but who are the first people to see it? The wise men from the East. Magi and Tony Mahulaf has written this amazing book proving that these wise men, they're from Arabia. And they come up and remember, what is, what is an abundance in Arabia? I told you. Gold and frankincense and incense. And they come to the king Jesus, remember they get to Jerusalem, like this radiant light has burst into the darkness and has led us here. We're looking for who? The king of the Jews. And they find him laying in a manger. The nations come to the king. And they offer gifts in the parents, Jesus' mom and dad, they receive these gifts confirming that this child is the radiant light bursting into the world, the conquering king, the true Israelite who will bring nations back into fellowship with God. Do you see that? 
And Jesus goes on this conquering mission throughout his life. He is the true son of Abraham and Isaac. He takes on all covenant obligations. He walks in holiness as all his day. He never commits a sin against God. There's no hostility between him and the Father. And listen, he never sins against anyone. No hostility between him and another unless it's caused by others. And Jesus takes all of this perfect life to the cross. And he sacrifices his life so that the blessing promised to Isaac can fall on all, Israelite or non-Israelite, all who come to faith in the work of God through his son, Jesus Christ. All peoples who come to faith in Jesus become children of God. In our passage this morning, there is this cool connection for us to see. What brought the sons of Abraham together? What brought Isaac, who is non-elect, outside of this covenant family, and Isaac, who is elect and inside this covenant family, what brought them back together? A death. And so it is that Jesus, in his death, he brings together all who would come in faith, all nations who would be called by his spirit and believe on his work at the cross. That is what draws us together into the communion of the people of God. One last passage I want you to see, Ephesians chapter 2. And as I read, just let the spirit make these connections for you. Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to begin in verse 11. Therefore, everyone there? I'll wait. It says, Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh, you non Isaac family, you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated. From Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. These are the promises made to Isaac. Having no hope and without God in this world, you have no way to redeem yourself. There's nothing you can do to save yourself. Nothing you can do to bring yourself into the covenant family because of sin. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down. That is, he has brought Israel and non-Israel together in his flesh. And he has made what the text says, one new man, the church. We are the commonwealth of God. One new man in the place of the two, so making peace. Ishmael, hostility, Jesus, peace. That he might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Verse 17, and he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. That is peace to Israel and peace to Gentiles. For though he, through him, we both have access to the one spirit, to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens and saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure, that is the people of God, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit, the promise to Isaac fulfilled in Jesus, applied to us by the Spirit. 
And so this is what we see in the ministry of Jesus Christ on the cross, bringing the two together who had once been separated in sin. What does, let's just conclude like this. What does all of this mean to you today? First, we must realize that God has not taken his attention off the nations. He has a heart to bring redemption to all people and the nations are out there in Maricopa. And so the gospel message that has brought us into the family of God is the same message that redeems any sinner, that the Spirit is drawing unto the Father. And so we need to be faithful with this good news, the blood of Christ. Second, it means that by Jesus we can truly know the blessing promised to Isaac. And when we know God, we come to know who we truly are. When we know the desires of God, our desires can be rightly ordered by the Spirit. When we know the purposes of God, guess what? We learn our purpose, why we were made and where we are headed. That is the beauty of coming to know the one who has made us. Third and finally, because of Jesus, we are formed into the one community of the people of God. There's no hostility anymore. Nothing should divide us because Jesus has brought us together. So I want to just encourage you, a man should be a community seeking to live in this reality. I, I, I actually think your best friends should be growing in this room. I believe that the people you turn to for support in trials through life should be found in this room. Those who you call when you you just need help in an instant should be in this room. Those who you would say, I need help being accountable, you should find this in, in this room because there is nothing that should divide us because Christ has brought us together, fulfilling the promises made to Isaac. Let us pray. We thank you, Father, that you have not forgotten us. Though we are not members of Israel by birth, we become members of true Israel, the church, by our new birth in Jesus Christ, and so we bless you. We thank you that we are able, by your Spirit, to hear from you and speak to you and know you. And so, God, we pray for your guidance in our lives, and that in this body, in Emmaus, there would be this growing sense that we are one of another, together for your glory, your dwelling place even, where you inhabit our praises and our burdens and our trials, our friendships, our prayers, our praise to you. You inhabit it all. We are your dwelling place. And so help us live in this presence with one another. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.